You're listening to Gearing Up, an everyday carry podcast, a show that was made for the everyday carry community. If you're into knives, gear, and hearing from your favorite makers, this is the show for you. Be sure to hit subscribe so you get new episodes every week and follow GT Dunn on Instagram for more content. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Gearing Up. This is the Everyday Carry podcast where we talk about everyday carry stuff. Today, of course, no exception. I've got a guest with me today. I'm super excited, uh, if you can't tell from how like peppy I am. Uh, but I, I've, we've, we had this scheduled, and then I got sick, and uh, I had to push it back. So he's, he's gracious enough to reschedule. And uh, so today I'm joined by Jonathan Shaw, a.k.a. Triple Stripe Knives from Instagram. Jonathan, welcome to the show, man. Hi, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Yeah, dude. I So likewise, I'm I'm excited to chat with you. I've been following you for a little bit. I don't, I don't know exactly how long, uh, but I have seen the work that you've been doing, and it's super impressive. So I'm, I'm going to get all of my compliments out of the way early. Right? <laughs> um, Thank you. The work you've been doing is awesome. Your, your presence on social media is really, really great. And uh, I know you've got some stuff coming up. I'm, I'm pretty excited for you, so I'm sure you're really excited. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I guess just to start it off, like for the folks that are listening that don't follow you on Instagram, don't know who you are, like give me just a little bit of info about you, who you are, what you do, and, and uh, what you're all about. All right. So yeah, as you said, I'm Jonathan Shaw and I'm a knife maker. I'm 16 and I've been making knives for two and a half years now, I think. Yeah, since February of 2020, I've been making folders for about a year, probably a year and a half. So started making folders after a year of knife making. And yeah, that's basically all of the interesting basic stuff about me. Nice. No, I mean, that, that that's perfect. That's that's high level. We're going to dive into some of those things in a second. But um, yeah, I just wanted folks to, to, to know a little bit about you if they don't follow you already. Um, and uh, I'm 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 not going to dance around too much. I want to jump right into knife making. So you you said two things that hopefully caught people's attention um, in that intro there. Right. You're 16. And I, listen, I, I told myself I was like, He's probably going to get irritated if I just dwell on the fact that he's 16 uh, for the entire podcast. So I promise I won't do that. But I do think that 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 is that is a huge uh, piece of context, right? For for who you are and what you do. Um, there's not many 16 year olds in the game, right? Yeah, no. I mean, it it kind of <laughs> makes me stand out. There's a few. There's a few people that are like a little bit older than me. Um, there's, I feel like there's someone I know of that's younger than me, but yeah, no, there aren't a lot of people doing what I am at this age. Yeah. It's so, and, and you've, you're 16, you've been doing it for like two years. Yeah. So when I was 14, like making knives, never, never a thing, like never, uh, I, I 14 year old me would not be like capable of doing it. Not that I wouldn't be into it, but I wouldn't be capable. So um, that's incredible to hear. Um, and, and the, the two year journey that you've had moving from, I, I'm assuming you started out with just like simple fixed blades and then kind of oh, yeah. evolved into, I've Very seen easy. you on your stories 
you know, making valleys and flipping those and like all kinds of crazy stuff lately. Yeah. So the, the evolution is, is real in terms of just the talent and, and your progress as a maker. So I, I want to jump back to the beginning and I want to talk about like what, what made you start this, this process, right? This journey um, at, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, like to start making knives, like what got you into that? Um, so I've always been into knives. Like I've carried a knife, like I've, I've carried a knife in my pocket every single day since I was 11. I've owned knives since I was like six or something. I got given a rigging knife for my birthday by my grandfather when I was, or not for my birthday, but like when I was like kind of six turning seven ish. So I've always been into knives and see, I was 14 I really wanted a like EDC fixed blade. I had a Schrade one that was like fairly cheap. But I wanted something different. And being 14, I was really, really broke. <laughs> so I was like, I can't afford anything. I've And so I'd been drawing knives for about a year. And I really wanted to get one like custom made. That sounded really cool to me. But I didn't realize that most makers did custom orders. I thought that like, unless they said like on their website, this is well before I was on Instagram, unless no. they said... I make custom knives and like two year design. And like, there's a thing on the website that said that I thought that they didn't. So the only way that I could think of to do something like make a fixed blade that I wanted that also I could afford was to make it. So yeah. I bought files and some steel and I spent several, yeah, a lot of hours in a tiny workshop making yeah. some knives. Dude, that's, it's nuts. It's nuts to hear it. Like, and it's funny that that piece of the story is not unique to you. There's uh, the, the people that I've had on the show, almost every single one of them is like, Hey, I want something, but either what I want doesn't exist. And so I need to make it or what I want is out of my budget right now. So I, I need to make it cause I can do it cheaper. Right? Yeah, for sure. It's a good reason to do things. Yeah. And, and, and so you start off humble beginnings, right? You got, you got files, you got some, some steel. What was, was there a specific moment where you were like, Oh, this is a thing. Like I can do this. Or did it just sort of slowly happen over time? It just kind of progressed. Like yeah. I knew the knife makers were a thing. I was like following a few of them. I got into Instagram a few months into knife making because my sister got it after a lot of convincing of my parents. And I was like, <laughs> right. okay, she's done all of the hard work. I'm going to join it too. There you and go. so I posted, like, I was working on a friction folder at the time. I posted a photo and then it kind of just grew from there. Yeah. yeah, there was no like single moment when I was like, yes, I want to do this. I just kind of kept going. Nice. No, I mean, that's, so, so that's cool. So whenever, so, so I'm, I'm trying to kind of, think about, I have 50 questions right now. I'm like, I just, I got to remember to get to them all. So you've been at this a couple of years. It's sort of just slowly progressed. You know, was there any, you know, outside of, I, I want this knife and I've kind of always been into knives. Let me try to make one. Like, was there anything else like in your background or in your education where this just sort of fit and it made sense? Or was this like learning a whole new skill for you? Uh, it's like, I've, I've always kind of been like into doing things with my hands there's still a paring knife in my kitchen that I modded when I was like probably 12 with like a hacksaw on a file and like I made handles for it. 
out of like a bamboo, I think it was a stirring stick or something. So like I'd always been kind of doing like working with my hands and yeah, I was homeschooled at the time. So there was no like kind of education thing that tied into it. But yeah, I just kind of started. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and it, you know, I think again, sort of a common, a common thread is like, uh, you you have this desire to work with your hands or this appreciation for working with your hands. I'm sure you were a tinkerer, right? Taking oh, yeah, stuff apart, sure. putting it back together, right? <laughs> yeah, I used to take apart pens. I used to take apart everything that I could find. Yeah, and and, and so this just seems. It's, I mean, it sounds to me like it just ended up being a really great fit, and yeah. you've you've kind of found your groove, right? I mean, watching some of the stuff that that you've cranked out has been really impressive. Right. And so, so one of my questions is like, so moving from fixed blades to folders, obviously a huge leap, Yeah. but what were some of the other big leaps, not necessarily maybe in, in, in the product itself, but like what was really, or what were some of the big leaps in terms of like, Hey, now I've got this new tool or now I'm working with this new material. Like what were, what were some of those from, from sort of start to now? Uh, so the biggest like revelation of, whoa, this is so much easier is I bought a grinder, mm-hmm. which funnily enough is a little bit faster than files. Um, so right. I, bought a one, I bought a hundred dollar one by 30 grinder. hundred dollars was a lot back then. So I, like that was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I bought a hundred dollar one by 30 grinder and some like cheapo aluminum oxide belts and yeah, I got it. And I did something that would have taken like forever in like 10 minutes yeah. And I was like, whoa, this is big. So that was a big advancement in terms of tooling. I think the biggest thing that kicked off everything that I was doing was um, I started working with a knife maker that's local to me that okay. he's been doing it. He's been making knives since 94, like okay. almost 10 years before I was born. So yeah, he's a little bit more advanced than me, shall we say. Right. Um, so I reached out to him with a question about heat treating and then I was working in, like I started going over and working in his shop a bunch. So working on my stuff a little bit, like kind of in spare time, working for him a bunch, learning a lot, but yeah, so working with Cosmo knives is really what kind of set me going on a better, like on a really good path in knife making. That's interesting. So yeah, I mean, having someone that's a little more seasoned, right? And and yeah. a little more a little more experienced. Yeah, that can be a that can be a huge game changer. I mean, I, I'm sure that that you know, I think I think the thing that I struggle with sometimes and tell me if if this is you at all, right? But I don't I don't think podcasting is near as difficult as making a knife, right? I think this is actually pretty easy. I just hit record and we talk. But one of the things that that I I was sort of shocked by when I started doing this is like you, you don't realize how much you don't really know, right? You you think it's like you think it's yeah. like a piece of metal and a and a belt grinder and that's about it, right? Uh, but as you dive deeper, you you realize how many layers yeah. there are to this, and and how how sometimes over. So like you said, you bought a grinder. Listen, I tinker in the garage sometimes, and I've thought about buying a grinder, and I'm like, I have no idea where to start. It's the weirdest thing, right? So I guess I guess my question from that is, whenever you know, from, from start to now, I mean, has there been anything where, I don't know if you want to say it, like, was, was there like a big light bulb moment where you're like, Oh my God, everything kind of makes sense now. And, or, or, or was there anything even working with this other knife maker that, that they introduced you to that, that really changed your perspective on the craft? Uh, not really other than quality abrasives. Like I started working with him 
and I, I bought some cheapo belts that like kind of came from the same place yeah. as the grinder, but working with him, I was working with nice belts and also just like being able to use better tooling kind of set me up to think, Hmm, I should yeah. buy better tooling because this is a lot easier. So yeah, that was kind of a big, yeah, light bulb sort of moment, I guess. Interesting. So I, it, you know, it, it's, it's cool to hear the, the, the sort of transition from hobbyist or, or enthusiast even to then, Hey, I've got this specific need I, I, I want to fill let me just see if I can do it. And I'm assuming, although, you know, to your standards and now to what you're making, that first attempt was probably not up to this level, right? You probably look back and think, man, there's yeah, there's a million I things I would have done different. But it sort of set you on this path, right? Yeah, I know that one set me up and I've, I've come a long way from it. But definitely there are a few things that I'm like still fairly pleased with how I did them. I was still doing removable scales back then. Like that's been something I've kept doing like consistently throughout. They were a lot more janky, right. but yeah, looking back, there's been a big chip, big nice. chip for sure. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, that, that to me, you know, I see folks that have been doing this for 10, 20, 30 years. They're great. But if I put one of your more recent pictures up next to theirs, I'm just like, I, I don't know. I kind of like this one, right? <laughs> yeah, there's, so there's kind of two things to that. I think one is like, yeah, I'm doing fairly good work. But also photography is really forgiving. If you had that in your hand, there I'm like I've never handled knives by like the crazy high level master makers. But I've had I've handled actually quite a few knife nice knives from like various enthusiasts no. and collectors and stuff local to me. And once it's in your hand, there's a massive feeling of like just massively sure. different feeling from their stuff. To well, mind. and that so that's an interesting perspective to hear, right? Because I've not handled super super high-end knives but i've handled a few customs i've had a couple customs and you know and i've i've mentioned this in talking with guests before where it's like sometimes they're sort of underwhelming right they're they're they don't always live up to the hype and that's i think a challenge you face when you start to get into that upper echelon that upper tier of of craftsmanship is like is this going to live up to the hype is 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 someone setting the bar super high and then all of a sudden they get it and it's kind of, eh, you know, is that so I guess my question there is like, is that something, you know, you've struggled with or, or, or had to worry about in the past? Yeah, for sure. Like I've, there have been a few times that I feel like the hype train on my stuff has kind of been inching a bit closer to me, I guess, to sure. use a metaphor than I would like if I'm running on the tracks, yeah. the hype train behind me, it's getting a little bit too close and is kind of like in my own personal opinion at times like people have thought my stuff was better than i think it is like obviously yeah yeah that's fair maker i'm the harshest critic or at least i should be um but still like that's one of the biggest reasons i haven't increased my prices like as much as i've been like people have said you should do it more because if your drops are selling out crazy fast then that's a very logical yeah. thing that if they go really fast you can charge more for it but like I've handled other makers work that charge more than mine and I've seen things that I can do better, but still there's very much a feeling of I've, yeah, I don't want people to have seen a bunch of people posting saying, Oh yeah, this is good. Spend a bunch of money on it and be like, actually this isn't as good as I was expecting. Cause I've handled some like 5k customs there's a collector yeah. that lives near me that has like crazy stuff and it's been fun to handle some of his things 
And yeah, like I'm not going to name any names, but like super high level makers that are doing like, like, yeah, crazy high demand, super expensive and like issues that I, that would bother me and I could notice and not do. So it's just, yeah, definitely the hype train and stuff is an interesting thing to just deal with. Yeah. So, so my question there is how, how do you keep that in check? Like, what do you do to keep yourself in balance for, for instances like that? I think just kind of always knowing what I'm doing wrong and trying to not do it. Yeah. <laughs> like just no, that makes sense. always be better and also not charging crazy high amounts. Yeah. Like my folders have been getting up there and I'm probably going to increase prices on fixed blades, but still I'm more in the lower end of like stuff. Yeah. Like, in terms of a custom fixed blade, like there are people like I can't think of a particular example of a maker, but like just some people are charging way more for essentially the same thing. Right. And, and I'm okay with that because I know that there's stuff that they're doing better and that's why I haven't increased mine. Yeah. It's a, it's almost like you're, you're striking a balance between like knowing your worth and, 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 and getting paid for your time, right? Like, does that make sense? Right. So you're, you're, I think you kind of know your limits, right? At least that's what it sounds like, right? You know where the sort of quality control changes are or need to be. And at least, you know, you don't have your blinders on and you you at least have a sense of, hey, here's here are the few things that personally I think my work needs to see changed before I can justify, you know, charging customers this much more or whatever. So... Yeah, I I think that's a that's a difficult thing to juggle no matter what kind of situation you're in. Yeah, no, for sure. There have been times that I've been like there, like yeah, there have been issues with something and I always try and like say so. Like there was a folder that I made from the last batch, the link number 2, and yeah, it had issues and I wasn't sure what like what to price it as. So like I did a fairly detailed video which accidentally I realized cut off halfway, so I didn't post like there was an uh, another like really minor issue that i meant to show and ended up accidentally not showing because it like instagram chopped it at like a minute and a half or something yeah um but yeah so instead of pricing that with like a set price i auctioned it and then they know the flaws they know what's coming they can kind of choose how much they want to pay yeah and and well and that also kind of sets you up you know, when, when price changing and price increasing happens and, you know, cause I think as the skill and the demand continue to, to go up incrementally, right. The, the price needs to go up. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that I love seeing some of the auctions you do cause it's, it's pretty crazy to see what they get up to and what people are willing to pay for something. And, and, you know, Again, I I see the stuff that you post, and I'm like, yeah, this guy. He I don't I don't know why he's not charging twice that, right? Or, or or whatever it is, right? Yeah. But yeah, that's that's a really interesting perspective. Like, it's interesting to hear your thoughts on on being a maker and and sort of being your own quality control and and being your own price police, uh, as as people like to say. <laughs> the next thing I, I I wanted to kind of shift gears and and talk about. You know, one of the things that that intrigued me about your work and one of the reasons I love following you is you post a lot of in-progress stuff, behind-the-scenes stuff, shop content. And this is something that I have hit on 
in probably the last three episodes. And there's just not a ton of makers, at least makers that I'm following that post this stuff. So few questions. I'll start off with the first, like what, what's your motivation in posting like works in progress? Like what, what got you started on, on doing some of the shop videos that you do and some of the in progress shots you do? Uh, that's actually, that's a really good question. Um, so like the posts that I do on my page of like, in progress stuff that I'm working on is I just, I kind of started doing it because I always tried to do a post a day. Yeah. So I've always tried to do a post a day since like I started and back then I was not having anywhere near to a finished knife every day. So I would post it like halfway done or when I was doing scales or when I had it profiled or something. So then I had like, just then I had content to make and I've always just kind of kept with that. And I like, I just, yeah, I like posting kind of as things are happening. And I've started fairly recently-ish ramping up more with the story posts, like doing a lot of stories generally when I get home at night. Like ideally I would post them real time as I'm working, except I frequently run out of data on my phone well over a week before I get more data. So I've stopped doing that. But yeah, I know it kind of also like the videos and stuff of what I've done that day or like what I've been working on also kind of helped me clear my own head and just keep track and kind of collect the thoughts of the day on what I've done. Um, but yeah, I know I've always liked sharing the process, not just the finished stuff. Dude, technical difficulties, but Hey, we're, we're making lemonade with it. All right. So I'm sure you answered my last question (laughs) about sort of behind the scenes stuff. Um, I'm hoping I got that, but yeah, to, to cap it off, right? And for those, if depending on editing and how this goes, like you might need more context. Uh, we're doing this remotely. I'm in Texas. Jonathan's in Canada. Tickets were just way too expensive to uh, fly up there. So we're doing this remotely and we ran into some technical difficulties. Still not sure what happened. But anyways, we're back. So you were talking about posting behind the scenes content. And to cap that off, like I just want to say like I love seeing it. I think that as a maker, I love watching makers show the the rough to some of the final shots that you post. Like it's so cool to see that transformation, and it's it just sort of speaks to the skill level. And I love the creativity. I love that you share stuff on your stories, and you're not afraid to like try new things. So on that note, I guess my question would be. Is there anything that, you know, lately you've tried that has just like fallen flat on its face, didn't work, anything that just sort of missed the mark? Uh, there's been a few things I've tried to do with the wrong kind of tooling that hasn't worked because either the tooling is broken or it's been too dull to cut the material before the material broke. Right. I honestly can't think of anything that's been like a complete failure that wasn't recoverable. Okay. So that's interesting. So yeah. So, so are there any projects that come to mind where you thought it was toast? It was, it was just gone, broken, and then you turned it into something really cool. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of stuff. (laughs) So the, (laughs) That's how a lot of things go, actually. So the Argon that I posted, like, few, actually, I haven't posted it recently, but like a few days ago, the video of it, it had a massive detent problem. When I, like, when I did the detent, it had a lot of laugh because of, for once, I don't think it was my issue. Like, other knives have had detent lash, but this one, for some reason, the lock bar was flexing. So that, I thought, was, like, 
completely scrapped, which is annoying because I've cut, um, like I've cut extra parts for all the other ones to do, like all the other folders that I had logged to cut two weeks ago, so that I can do stuff like at the beginning of next year, kind of after Christmas. Except for the argon, I ran out of steel and I didn't. I only have this one argon blade, so I was like, wow, this is like completely scrapped. But I came up with an idea to fix the detent. And with a bit of precision blow torching, <laughs> um, I've gotten it to work. I almost, I thought that the Prime was going to have some issues with the underlays because it's got those slots in the CF. That didn't start out looking like that. It started out with something different, but I ended up going with that slot pattern, which I actually think I'm, like, I'm not going to go back to my original plan on like the next one. I think what I did actually looks better. Yeah, but yeah, I thought that one was potentially going to need to be at least heavily reworked, which would suck because that's the most expensive knife, like the most expensive materials, the most expensive knife I've ever done. But yeah, those are the only two recent ones that I thought I'd have to scrap. No, that so it's it's always cool, uh, and I love when I meet makers that really try to turn every lesson or. or <laughs> every mess up, every failure, whatever you want to call it into some kind of opportunity, try to salvage whatever you can, you know? And I think, I think a lot of that is like, Hey, if, if your money's riding on it and you, you bought the material, you got to do something. Right. So, so it's, it's cool to see that. So at the, at the top of the episode, you mentioned you're 16 years old. I told you I wasn't going to dwell on that promise. I'm not, but one of the questions that, that, that kept coming up is being 16 years old. Like what are some of the challenges you've, you've run into like getting started and building this into, you know, your, I mean, this is your job right now, right? Yeah. Um, so getting started, not being 16 and essentially I, I, this is my job. This is what I do every waking moment after school, sometimes before school. When I was 14, I didn't have a job. I had zero means to like, I, I had zero income at the time. So I had like 300 bucks or so saved up. But when I started, I was in debt to my parents in to the number of around 800 US, I think, maybe. So, yeah, when I started, I was heavily in debt. And, like, because I bought my Carta, I bought folder hardware, I bought steel, abrasives, everything. Yeah. And those were always, like, I was always buying fairly in advance because being in Canada, it's, like, 30 bucks, like, 20, 30 bucks minimum to ship anything. I've paid 200 bucks in shipping on some stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, you do see on top of that. But it meant that I was ordering a lot. Like, I wasn't ordering a few knives worth. I was ordering, like, 10, 20 knives worth of something just to save on the shipping. But that meant I didn't have... Like, if I was ordering in a five-knife kind of increment, which isn't a good idea anyway, even if you are in the States, I would have had all the money from the last five knives to buy the material from the first five, whereas I had, like, very little money, and I was buying 20 knives worth of stuff. So, yeah, starting out, I was heavily in debt, thankfully to my parents, who didn't charge interest. Right. Um, me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, then, yes, getting started in debt. But then recently, I've just kind of been keeping going with the money that I've made um, during knife making. I've kind of kept on reinvesting, theoretically keeping a little bit of it for a sure. rainy day. And I, I had a fair amount saved up, and then I bought a bunch of materials, and I've been prepping for Blade Show. I've I've been hemorrhaging money lately, to be honest, but I've got a lot of cool stuff planned. Yeah. So. Well, that's good. No, I mean, that's that that's a good place to be, I think. And, you know, my my question 
from that is is okay so at what point how how far along in the journey were you were you making the transition from you know borrowing money from the folks and and buying supplies to hey this is sort of a self-sustaining hobby um where where was that that change uh i think probably a little under a year in maybe I remember, so I stocked up on folder hardware from Alpha Knife Supply. That was about 500 bucks, so I, I think I was in debt for that. But after that, I think I was pretty self-sustained. Yeah. Dude, that's yeah, awesome. So I, think it, I think a bit under a year. So one of the things I had in my notes, I was, I was like, so what long-term is this? is this sort of the plan now for you moving forward? Is this like, hey, I'm going to keep honing in on this craft and getting better and doing more of this, or is this going to be a side gig? You have other career aspirations. Like what's, what's, what's going on in your head there? So, well, as I mentioned, I've been into knives since forever. I've wanted to join the military since before I've like, I kind of knew knife making was a thing. Yeah. So actually like at the end of this year, I'm going to be putting up tools and joining the military. Nice. Because, yeah, I've wanted to do that since I was, like, 10-ish. And so, obviously, during university, I won't be able to do much knife making because I'm doing, I'm going to be hopefully doing Mac end, which is a really heavy workload. Yeah. And so I'll have, like, zero spare time. But then, hopefully, post-university, I'll kind of be working a fairly normal 9-to-5-ish sort of thing other than, like, training or deployment or something. Yeah. So I'm hoping to do knives after that. I think... If it wasn't for the military, I could still, like, I could support myself with knife making. Like, I've been pretty amazed at how much faster stuff is when I can do, like, I can work full time on it, yeah. not do school or other things. Because, like, the last few weeks were actually my first time, like, first full time knife making of the summer. Like, after, like, the end of the last, at the end of the school year, I went off for a month um, to do a cadet camp. Yeah, I saw that. I saw you posted about Instagram that kind of dropped a bunch and yeah. then I got back and I've been working like theoretically waking up fairly early and working fairly late. I was sleeping in a bunch in the beginning cause I was rather sleep deprived when I got back. <laughs> um, but yeah, having full days in the workshop has really increased production. And so I, I think I could sustain myself working full time and like doing knife making or, like, or doing knife making full time and not having like a side gig or having knife making as a side gig. But yeah, I wanted to do the military thing since well before knife making. So I'm going to stick with that. And then hopefully once I have a pension and there's like not as much pressure, I can keep doing knife making. So like in, in like 25 years, I guess 30 years, maybe if people are still wanting knives, I'll hopefully be making them full time. Dude, people are always going to be wanting knives. Like this is always a thing. (laughs) So, um, you brought up you brought up the fact that you're in Canada, and I, I I don't know a whole lot about Canada, but I I do know, and I don't know this for a fact. This is hearsay. Uh, I know shipping is expensive, but are there any aside from the cost being either prohibitive or just a pain? Um, have there been any other big challenges being a, a knife maker based in Canada? Not 
especially see so yeah, like shipping shipping's a big thing shipping and duties i pay bajillions yeah um so so far i haven't made anything that i've needed to worry about the legality i would love to make push like to try making push daggers and stuff because i just kind of think they're neat unfortunately i can't legally make those in canada no so like that's been annoying same with live related bow phones i've made trainers as you mentioned i've made three trainers now i think and i have a because blade, blade west which is i'm going to in october is in the states i have something i'm planning for that that i wouldn't have made if i was staying in canada shall we say no um but yeah so not not being able to make certain types of knives has been annoying and also i'm a bit worried about going across the border i haven't fully researched that yet no. to go to blade west but other than that there haven't been like massive difficulties with being canadian other than just shipping right interesting it's always i you know i'm i'm sort of closed-minded here and i'm just thinking locally and you know when i think of of international shipping i think of it's going across the pond over to to europe somewhere and i don't think about the fact that like hey shipping stuff to canada is still it's got to go through customs and all of that stuff and so i've i've sent in received some stuff and it's always it's always like uh, I hope I hope this doesn't cause any red flags or confusion or anything. And so I was just curious. I didn't know if you'd run into any, you know, if they're they're uh, scanning scanning or or, or uh, taking in packages into customs from Alpha Knife Supply and they see knife is that like a big red flag or, or anything? So thankfully, as a maker, I'm not shipping anything this way that they don't like. However, collectors have huge issues because the CBSA, Canadian Border Security Agency, has different ideas on what they want to let through compared to what we can actually legally have. Right. So as a collector, it's really tricky doing in Canada and trying to ship stuff in because it's it's a crapshoot whether or not you lose it. Yeah. Which sucks on 5K knives. <laughs> right. But yeah, as a maker, shipping raw materials, other than like, I think I'm paying taxes for like steel tariffs or something i honestly don't remember yeah it's not that bad really nice well good to know so i know you you mentioned going to blade uh blade west here in a bit i'm I'm gonna get to that but when it comes to models or materials or just different tools in general like is there anything that's on your list or or anything sort of on your your wish list to to create that, that you're kind of, you've kind of got stewing right now that you're going to try to put together after Blade West. So there's a new model that I was actually hoping to start the prototype today that I'm hoping to exhibit Blade West. And then I have five planned for afterwards. It's got a slightly different construction than I've ever done. It's kind of similar to what a few people do, like uh, CMF okay. and various other custom makers with like a fairly thick liner. And then scales, like really thin scales. Interesting. And like okay. you're contouring into it, kind of overlay sort of stuff. Yeah. Because I know I think it's neat and it'll be thinner than like, I don't actually really like liner locks as myself. Like I like making them. I think they're cool. I don't own any currently other than insets um, because they're just they're really thick. It's yeah. pretty much impossible to get them slim. And frame locks are cool, but I, I want to try this. So. I'm looking forward to trying the new model with the new construction. That might be something I do on other things. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's a new model with a new kind of style that I'm planning. Uh, in terms of new tooling, I'm hoping to pick up a surface grinding attachment. 
at Blade Show because they're big and expensive to ship. Because so far, everything I've done, I've been sitting with a 9 by 11, I want to say, 2-inch thick granite surface plate and some sandpaper and going back and forth, back and forth until <laughs> stuff is very, very flat. Yeah. Which takes a long time and isn't necessarily like... An, it's for sure flat or it's it's fairly flat, but it's not parallel. Yeah. Like you could take a triangle and each side is technically flat. Just if you try and like machine it, it's not going to be like yeah. top side isn't going to be flat. So yeah, that's made some issues. Like that's, that's kind of the biggest issue I have currently with folders is getting stuff centered and like the stuff that people don't think about because generally it's not an issue is like this gap. Like if you opened a knife, if you look at the spine, like a folder, like the gap between the scale, the blade, and the scale going this way, and then flip it around and look at the front. Yeah. All of, like that's issues that I have. That's gonna hopefully be solved by a surface grinder. I'm also hoping to pick up oops, a um, contact wheel. Currently, like every single compound grind, hollow grind, whatever, is done on a three-inch wheel, which I don't know if you know the size people normally use is really really small. Yeah. Like eight inches, fairly typical. 10, 12 inch, like fairly normal, six inch for smaller stuff. Three is like swedges, maybe. Some people yeah. do three inch swedges. That's it. Like it's way smaller than most people do, which is why generally, like the grinds are really short. Yeah. Because it's just, it's the wrong size to a tall grind. So I'm hoping that'll kind of boost my capabilities in terms of neat grinds that I do. Because just in all honesty, my compound grinds like on the link or something, don't cut super well. Like they're super thinly ground. Like they're really slicey, if that makes sense. But just once you get cutting like past the depth of the bevel or like past kind of the depth, yeah, the depth of the grind, it's the full thickness of the blade for a lot of it because it's still fairly steep because it's a small wheel. Yeah. So hopefully with an eight inch, I can start getting stuff bigger and yeah, it'll be a bit better. I might be picking up a heat treating kiln. Ooh, nice. Like new tool acquisitions, because I do all my heat treating with um, Seth, uh, Cosmo Knives, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And if I can do it in-house, it'll just kind of save a bit of time, save me constantly hassling him. Um, yeah. But also, it's a lot of money that I'm not sure if I want to spend. Right. So we shall see. Yeah, no, you, you definitely got to balance, you know, cost versus, you know, the, the, the return on it, but... Dude, it sounds like it sounds like you got it figured out. Like, I'm, if you're listening to this, you can't see me. I'm grinning ear to ear. I, I think this is super cool. I'm fascinated by any maker, right? You know, if you've listened to the show at all, you know, I like uh, I, I like makers, right? And I like talking about their process and their story. But I'm fascinated by by you know the journey that you've had, and especially in such a short time and at such a young age. I feel like you got a long, long, long time. Uh, ahead of you to create some really killer stuff. So uh, I'm I, I'm I'm stoked for you. I hope you get all the tools you need, and I can't wait to see what it does to uh, to to the next batch of knives that comes out. Yeah, they should be pretty sweet. I'm gonna try some like compound grind and stuff once I've got the new tooling. Yeah. So I want to talk about Blade Show West. Uh, that's coming up. Uh, if you're listening to this, this will, I don't know exactly what date this will post, but it's going to post before Blade Show West. So if you're in the Salt, it's in Salt Lake City, right? Yeah. Yeah. So October 7th through the 8th, Salt Lake City Blade Show West uh, is happening. What was the catalyst to get you to go to Blade Show? Like, how did that come about? How did that happen? Kind of two things. A is I decided around actual Blade Show in Atlanta and 
I saw everyone else's post, and I was like, that looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> um, like, I'd, I'd seen posts from, like, the Last Blade show, I'd seen posts from, like, all kinds of different shows, but it kind of really clicks that I really want to do this, as well as I'm part of a, like, little group chat with other people in the EC community that are on my age, and they started harassing me to go to Blade show, and yeah, I, I decided... Peer pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, I decided I was going to go, and then I was talking to another maker who has, like, had advice for me over, like, I guess, yeah, now the years that I've been doing this, uh, Griffin Blades, and I was originally intending to just have, like, a single nice knife that I'd have in my pocket. I'd go around and talk to, like, makers, and I'd show them, like, the one knife, and then he said, get a table, and so I got a table. There it goes. It's it's funny that you mentioned seeing the stuff at Blade and this year just being kind of different. I felt the same way, man. I, like... I've always talked to I've talked about going to Blade. It sounds fun. I'm not a maker, but I just want to go and meet some of the people that I talk to on the daily, uh, you know, on Instagram. And this year, seeing all the posts, I'm like, all right, cool. We got to figure it out yeah. for next year because I'm I'm missing out, right? Yeah, it looks like <laughs> looks like a lot of fun just meeting all the makers and like I think that's why a lot of people go is not necessarily to pick up like their next knife, but just for the people, like meeting people putting faces to names and just yeah it really has more of a sense of community than you can get over the internet so yeah i'm really looking forward to going dude that's awesome so is there anything i know you've been working on uh a bunch of knives for for bleach os is there is there one in particular you're really proud of and one you're really excited to see people's reaction to or or maybe something you haven't shared that you want to share now or anything like that Absolutely. So the Prime, that was today's post and yesterday's post and two days ago or three days ago. Um, that's the one that's been taking up the most of my time recently. It's going to be kind of my main piece at the show. I'm really happy. Absolutely beautiful, by the way, man. Yeah, Killer work. I'm, I'm really happy with how like pretty much everything turned out from like the underlays. This is my first time working with Damascus. Um, I'm happy with how that yeah. turned out. The etch. Originally, I wasn't happy with it because I've only etched damascus steel twice. I did two knives like at the same time in January, and now I've got more damascus steel that I like for the prime that I etched just now, and it turned out differently because I etched it in January and it was really cold, and now it's a bit warmer and it changed it up a bit. So I wasn't happy with it. Another thing that you mentioned on your story, where I was like, "Oh, that's that's really interesting." And I never would have known that had you not posted. Like, those are the kind of insights where I'm like, "That's really cool that he shared that." I, I wouldn't have thought of that. So, anyways, yeah. sorry I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just like, "Yeah, that was." I remember. But yeah, know. That. That's kind of why I like posting things. It just gives people a bit of a like look into the behind the scenes a bit. Like, I don't post everything. There's not that many, but like a few screw ups. Generally, if I can't fix the screw up. It, it depends on the thing, but some of the screws that I can't fix, I don't post sometimes. Unless, yeah, it depends on the screw up. But yeah, I try and post all the kind of behind the scenes stuff, all the like just stuff that I've thought of. Um, yeah, so I'm thinking the next time I do damage steel, I might actually like refrigerate it because most people heat the like heat the acid. It takes like five minutes, I think, in like. What are you using, ferric chloride or? All of my acid washing and stuff, that's all ferric. That's like 30, 
it depends on the steel, but like that's just kind of check it in, do something else. Remember, oh hey, I put something nested. I should go check on that, and then do it. Yeah. There's a lot less like science, or at least I do it with a lot less science. Like I used to, um, like have gloves, clean it off, fast tone, all of that. Now I just kind of hold it by like the edges. I hit it with some water. I chuck it in. I pull it out. I used to like have like baking soda, dip it in all that. I just like spray it with a bunch of water. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot less high tech and like precise, but it's, it always works. So I don't need to. Whereas the um, yeah. etching dam seal, I'm using 10 molar um, hydrochloric acid. So I'm wearing like respirator, gloves. I've cleaned, I clean it with acetone and then I wearing the gloves. I hit it with water just because one of the knives I etched with, um, yeah, one of the dam steel knives I etched in January. I cleaned it with acetone and it was kind of, like part of it wasn't etching for some reason. So then I took it out, hit it with baking soda, yeah. and then just put it in water and put it back in and it was fine. So now I just hit it with water to clean any acetone acid residue off of it. So yeah, that etching down steel is a much more high-tech process. And yeah, so most people heat the acid because it takes like five minutes. Whereas I did it at room temperature and it took an hour and 15. Whereas in January it took four hours because it was like 10 degrees celsius versus like 20 ish i couldn't tell you what that is in fahrenheit but like fairly cold <laughs> and then fairly warm yeah um and it was a it, there was more contrast in the etch that i did in january when it was colder so i'm thinking i'm actually going to see if i can track down like a little like bar fridge sort of thing and chill the acid so yeah. I'm going in like the opposite direction from what everybody says but if it works for me then that's what matters Trial and error, man. You you give it a shot. If it works, great. You've got your own process. And if not, you try again. You heat it up. Yeah. Whatever, <laughs> dude. That's awesome. So, I I think I, we're we're sort of at the end of my notes. But I, I first off, again, can't compliment you enough on on the awesome work. Like it's this the prime that you've posted is amazing. Looks great. Um, I've done a teeny bit of tinkering. Right, I'm not a maker. But I've done a little bit of tinkering with Damascus, and I can tell you, it's like it's a pain to work with, uh, yeah. just in general. Have you ever worked a superconductor? No. There's so like I. Oh yeah, that's that's ten times worse. It's yeah, so terrible. Like I've worked with some <laughs> relatively high end materials like Damascus, damn steel, carbon fiber, like yeah, whatever. But superconductor, meteorite, mammoth, and zerk are kind of a step above. Some of them, they're just scary. Like it's scary to try to get into that because if you mess it up, that's an yeah. expensive waste, right? Yeah, <laughs> like meteorite is. There's only so much of that. I mean, same, almost more so yeah. mammoth, I would think. But yeah, just it's it's so expensive, and I've never, I've also never had a reason to. Like I, I haven't had an yeah. idea of oh I need this to do it. Whereas like the prime, I came up with the idea before I bought the material, and like I, I could visualize something in my head. Whereas I can't really think of something with meteorite. I might try doing something with Mother of Pearl at some point. Because oh, yeah, I have be awesome. some that like I collected on one of the islands I traveled to a few years ago. Or yeah. maybe Abalone. Yeah. yeah, I haven't worked with any of the crazy materials yet. As a guitar player, I can appreciate Abalone and Mother of Pearl. Mother of, I can't even talk. Mother of oh. Pearl. I can appreciate those all day, man. So, so incorporating those, and that's interesting because I don't, I don't feel like I see a whole lot of makers doing that. That's a, that's, and I don't know if it's because it's a unique material or 
it seems like it might be brittle as you start, you know, especially as it gets hot. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what you could yeah. cook up with that. But but yeah, I mean, definitely a, a cool material to, to incorporate somehow. Yeah, no, I think mother of pearl is brittle. Is really it smells really bad. It's expensive and probably being brittle, hard to drill. So there's only like there's very few makers that I can think of. Like Maverick Concepts, I've seen some stuff he does with Mother of Pearl, CMF, lots of other makers. But those are the kind of those are two of my favorite makers, and so they're ones that kind of stick in my head. But yeah, lots of little yeah. stuff with Muff, so nothing. Like no full mother of pearl scales. Yeah, that's a that's an inlay or a uh, you know if you get real fancy with some some thumb stud yeah. inlays or 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 pivot inlays or you know pivot collar or something like that. Oh man, listen, I gotta say this has been an absolute blast. I was super excited to talk to you. I was excited to 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 hear your story. It was so intriguing to me. Just watching, uh, you know, and my my journey and following you has been. I don't even know how I followed you. I don't know if you were like part of a giveaway and it was like, follow all these people and maybe that was it. But I, I, I'm like, okay, I stuck around and, and uh, I spend more time on stories than I do probably yeah, on my feed. Yeah. And so your story always pops up and just seeing, you know, see whether it's in progress stuff or sketches or ideas or rough cuts or whatever, like it's always cool to see. And, uh, you know, watching you take a hunk of metal and turn it into the the, the stuff that you've posted the last couple of days is incredible, man. So, my hats off to you. Keep up the awesome work, and and uh, I'm 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 excited for Blade Show West for you. I want to see, you know, what the response is like and and what the interactions are like. I can't wait to hear back from you on it. Thank you. I'm I'm really excited for Blade Show West and everything that's coming up. That's awesome, man. Well, listen, before we go, is there anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to mention? Any, I mean, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to pass it off to you. What you got? Um, I guess I, I should mention I'm at table seven M at blade show. Uh, Oh yeah, actually I'm potentially getting into forging. I don't know if you've seen a few of my intermittent what? stories. So I've never wanted to forge. Like I never, it wasn't something I've like, wanted to do i've never had an like a place to do it it's yeah. just never been on the radar but um a new steel got released apex ultra and it's way tougher than a lot of things at like 67 rockwell like flowing maximat rex 121 way out of the water yeah when it comes to that so i've like i wanted to try it because i'm i'm a steel snob 100 percent. like i probably couldn't tell like magna cap from nitro v in like a blind test Except for rust, Magnacut is a lot more rust resistant, um, and grinding it, it's right? Yeah. Um, but like, I'm 100% a steel snob, so when like cool new stuff comes out, like Apex Ultra, I'm like, ooh, I want to do it. But the stock yeah. that they were selling was really thick, and apparently not very straight. Like it was kind of rolled and not flattened at all because of the design for yeah. forging. And so I was like, hmm, there's this thick steel. And I want to do it, but it doesn't really work with my normal style of knife. So I've bought some. I bought a cheapo hammer off of Amazon that I'm going to, like, uh, like refinish the faces, make it usable for forging. And yeah. I'm going to cut the steel into chunks. And my school has a forge that I'm going to be able to use. And Dude, I'm going to awesome. do a completely different style than what I've been doing. 
like everything's been full tang, removable handles, kind of modern EDC stuff. And I'm going to be doing kitchen knives with like wah handle, like kind of the Japanese sort of thing. I think it's still going to be removable. I've come up with a like design that should work. But yeah, I'm going to do kitchen stuff because I've, I've done a few kitchen knives in the past. And like I like them. I really like having nice kitchen knives, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but they're just they're really expensive to do. Lots of abrasives, big chunk of steel. So I'm going to try them with still an expensive steel, but hopefully cheaper amounts of it because I can forge it down thinner versus grinding it all away. Yeah. And I'm going to be trying out some cool handle material combinations because doing like a single piece handle means it needs to be a lot thicker. And like I have massive stacks of quarter inch micarta, whereas I need like three quarter inch for what I'm going to be trying to do. So I've yeah. collected a few of my thick chunks of panel material, all of which are my most expensive things like carbon fiber, G carta, resin, wood, like stabilized wood, yeah. all of that. So I'm hoping to start on some, I'm hoping to have them for Blade West. It's like very much a maybe. I haven't, like, it's not on my blade. Like, I have, a, I have lots of spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are like, that's how I keep myself keep organized. organized yeah. Spreadsheet. Everything is spreadsheets. Um, I don't have one on the spreadsheet because I'm not expecting to do it, but I really want to. And going by how my calendar is looking so far, I should be able to have a completely different knife on the table. It probably won't be for sale, yeah. but I'm going to be able to show off something cool and new that I'm going to be working on at like, the end of the year and start of next year. Dude, that's awesome. I'm I'm stoked for you. I'm stoked to see what you cook up and it, you've been you've been doing awesome stuff. I know you're going to keep it up. So, thank you for coming in here chatting with me. I know listen, sometimes it's weird to talk to strangers on the internet and I this is I try to make it as chill as possible, but um if you're still listening, thank you guys so much. Go follow Jonathan on Instagram. He's at triple.stripe.knives uh or you can join his Facebook group. Uh, it is, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Help me out. <laughs> it's the same triple.stripe.knives, but Good. the link is a long line of numbers that I couldn't possibly tell you. I can barely remember my own phone number. Just go to Jonathan's yeah, page on Instagram. It, it's and linked, check it's yeah. linked in my bio, and yeah, that's the easiest way to find it. All right, good stuff, man. All right, everyone, so thanks so much for listening. Uh, be sure to go follow uh, Jonathan on Instagram, go join his Facebook group uh, and keep an eye out for everything that he's posting. Keep an eye out for his stuff at blade show. And if you're going to blade show West swing by his table, tell him you listen to the episode and uh, shake his hand, check out his knives, all that stuff. Jonathan, thank you again, man. This has been an absolute pleasure and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, for sure. Also, I should say, if you come and say, you listen to the podcast, I'll give you stickers or a patch or something. I'll come up with something. Whew, I like it. I like it. That, say hi. That, that gearing up uh, hookup right there. I like that. <laughs> nice. All right, guys. Again, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys in the next one. Peace. Thank you again for the continued support. Be sure to follow GT Dunn on Instagram to stay in the loop. And if you want to get in on the conversation, check out The Pod, our Facebook group dedicated to gearing up. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to leave the show a review. For more Gearing Up, check out the Patreon for exclusive content and other perks. You can also shop Gearing Up merch through the link in my bio. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Peace. Peace.